calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is of gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello again, everybody. Uh, welcome. It's Ron Rimkus, and I'm uh, here today with Leah Zell. Um, we are going to talk about uh, Leah's background in uh, investment management and uh, her particular approach to uh, investing. So with that said, let's uh, jump right in. Uh, okay. Leah, could you share with our audience a little bit about uh, your particular, uh, the philosophy and uh, the approach you take to investing? Certainly. So we're international small cap investors. Uh, I think there are two comments I would make. The first is, why do we do international small caps and what do we like about that sector? And secondly, within that sector, what do we look for? So I think international small cap investing at this particular juncture in the evolution of the asset management industry may be one of the last great bastions for active managers. Uh, our universe has become increasingly orphaned as funds become larger and larger and the industry consolidates, particularly the active industry, but even the passive industry. It means that there are fewer uh, analysts really looking hard and doing proper due diligence and research on the equities uh, in our uh, field. And um, um, we like international small caps because uh, they often create their own markets, and they're not they're not GDP plus investments. They're much more independent of how uh, the broader economy grows. Uh, and uh, um, uh, second of all, because there's less work being done on our companies, it means that we have a better opportunity to add value. So that's one of the things that is important about what we do. And as far as what we look for in the companies that we invest in, mm -hmm. we look for good businesses. Uh, we look for businesses that can create value. We look for ones that have natural competitive advantages and, and of course, uh, uh, attractive valuation. Right. So uh, a lot of managers uh, have a very narrow mandate. They might be the U.S. small cap manager or the uh, EFA mid cap manager or things like that. Right. And it sounds like you got a lot of flexibility. Uh, how important is that flexibility uh, for you to go around the world and uh, to find opportunities and have a broad mandate? So in my former life, when I was running a large uh, international small cap fund, uh, we organized ourselves by industry uh, slash sector or geography. So we had our Southeast Asian analyst, or we had our uh, European industrial analyst, or we had our uh, commodity analyst, and so on and so forth. Uh, given our mandate and how I view the world today and how I view investment management today, uh, I've organized the investment team we have by opportunity, which means that every we have a small, tightly focused team 
and we source ideas by opportunity. That means we look around the world and we try to find sectors or geographies or specific companies uh, where we feel the combination of quality of company, quality of management, competitive advantage, and valuation are most compelling. And then everyone on the team is focused on that opportunity. Uh, what that means is we do, don't try to be everywhere and everything at once. Uh, and we only hold about 30 equities and we concentrate our capital and our best ideas. And by doing that, uh, we don't worry about, for, so for example, we won't end up with Brazilian equities when Brazil is going into a tailspin because we don't have anyone who is dedicated to putting them in the portfolio. Okay, which kind of leads me to my next question, which is more about process. So. Um, to the extent you can, can you kind of walk us through the, you know, f starting with idea generation all the way through uh, to a name that makes it in the portfolio, your due diligence process, and then how you look at the portfolio? Okay, so we source ideas from two buckets. Uh, the first is that we have a watch list, and that watch list has, we, we probably see about a thousand companies a year, mm -hmm. and uh, over a decade, that means that we've had a lot of opportunities to talk to businesses. And ones that we think we would like to own at some point go on that watch list. And usually the reason why we don't own them is valuation. That is, they'll check all the boxes, but they aren't within our price range. And so companies that go from the watch list to what uh, to um, uh, the shortlist for more intensive work and due diligence uh, are ones that we usually know very well. We've met several times, and it's just a, and usually they're going through a temporary problem, which has depressed the valuation and allows us to uh, to. Uh, uh, well, allows us to exercise what we call time arbitrage, which is that they have a temporary issue, but if we look out two to three years, we don't see any of the fundamentals of the company changing. Right. So that's one way in which we source ideas. And the other way in which we source ideas are situations that generally fall between the cracks. Broken IPOs, good companies that have not developed sponsorship because for a variety of reasons they came out of the box and disappointed. Spin-offs is a classic situation which are, you know, no matter how well known still provides uh, opportunities. Uh, um, uh, companies that are listed in the wrong place and consequently don't get attention. And then what I referred to before, which is generally anything below a billion in market cap is, is fair game. Okay, so you're sort of classic value investors, right? Yep, you okay. got it. Love it. Um, now, I also know that you have a PhD in social and economic history, which I think is interesting. Um, do you find that uh, your background in history informs your thinking about uh, events going around in the it world today? Absolutely. First of all, it's partly why I love the international markets, okay. because it fits perfectly and beautifully into what I've done my whole life. Uh, it's much more interesting to me 
to combine company, country, and currency uh, than it is to uh, read footnotes. <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense to me, so okay. I like that. Uh, beyond that, um, and I would also say that in today's world, I doubt someone with my background would get a job in the industry. So, well, you never know. So I was extraordinarily fortunate uh, when I came out of graduate school uh, to find that Wall Street was highly unpopular in my generation. It was definitely down market. The yeah. asset, the buy side was much less sexy than the sell side. And they were looking for women. Wow. So all of that is good. But I, if I were to, one takeaway from my background, uh, which has been invaluable, is the long-term perspective. I think, you know, being trained as a historian gives you a kind of imagination about how things might evolve. And I would simply say the security analysis and history, in my view, are kind of the same process turned inside out. As, as a historian, you know how things end up and you come up with a, an explanation or a causal analysis as to how it happened and as a security analyst you know how things start and you come up with the exact same kind of analysis as to where it's going to go. So you're sort of a real-time historian, right? That's, you got it. Alright. Um, okay, so can you describe uh, a recent uh, success or two that uh, embodies this process and approach? Certainly. So uh, the largest position in our portfolio is an Italian company called Moleskin. Uh, you may know what a moleskin is. It's a little notebook with a rubber band that holds its hold it holds its holds it closed. Oh, okay. Okay. And moleskin trades uh, on the Milan Stock Exchange. Uh, came public in the summer of 2013, and uh, actually is a very old brand that a bunch of Italian luxury goods entrepreneurs and private equity people brought public again or, or reinvented in the late 90s. Uh, they went public and they immediately took the money that they got from the IPO and revamped their distribution globally. And they are globally. You know, you can go in to see the Moleskin store in Sydney, Australia or in Singapore or in uh, um, New York and I've done all of them. Uh, and they took what was a pretty dull product, a black product, used narrowly, and they have made it into a fashion statement. So the next time you go through an airport, stop at the local bookstore or the local uh, um, uh, sundry goods and take a look at their rotating kiosks. And you can now buy them in hot pink, and you can mm -hmm. buy them in green. And uh, through the distribution process, they're earnings for the first couple of quarters disappointed the market. They came public at uh, about two pounds, two, two euro forty. Uh, by the end of 2014, they were trading at one euro a share. And that's exactly when the earnings started, uh, turned around and they started growing uh, both revenues and uh, net income in, the, in plus 20 percent per annum. Uh, they are an exporter. The weakness in the euro helped them, and we've done very well. And what do you think it was that caused the market to get it wrong in that instance? Market always gets it wrong short term. <laughs> okay. But the other things I would say is you had a great brand, you had a squeaky clean balance sheet, you had no debt, 
uh, you you had obscenely good margins. They sell these books for twenty dollars a piece, uh, and uh, they just had you know and it. They, you know, we, when we bought it, it had 100, 120 million euro of revenues and global distribution. So lots of lots of, of runway. Right. Um, let's look at the flip side. So uh, maybe you could talk about uh, an idea that uh, hasn't worked out and how you grapple with that. And I know that's always a big challenge, especially uh, for value investors. You know, because you're you're buying it, it's out of favor. There's a problem. You know, you're trying to work through those things and. And sometimes uh, you have to pull the plug. And, and how do you come to grips with that? Okay, so the essence of a good investment process is that you do the same thing every single time. Yeah. And you can, and it's repeatable. And so for every single idea we look at, whether it's long or short, we have the same write-up. And the core qualitative component of the write-up is an investment thesis. So we make sure we write down why we think this this idea will work out, uh, and a range of of target prices as to where it should go, and the point of having it in black and white is that when you get it wrong, it's staring you in the face. <laughs> okay, Have so you. an example of that is that we bought a position in an Australian free-to-air broadcaster called Nine Entertainment. When we bought the business, uh, they had a ticketing business, and we knew that we knew the ticketing business very well from another company we don't in Europe, mm -hmm. which is another thing we do is you can go around the world and if you just look at Australia, you might not know the value of a ticketing business, but if you own CTS Event Team in Europe, then you can value that. And uh, so we thought that was a good business. They had a good piece of real estate in Sydney that they didn't need. And then they had a free-to-air broadcasting business where the cash flow was unencumbered. Uh, um, the, the downside, with what happened was they sold the ticketing business shortly after we bought the stock. And the growth of the business went to somebody else. Uh, and the that was one thing that happened. The second thing that happened is that the competition uh, in their core market for advertising uh, was worse than we had expected. We should have known better on that one. Mm -hmm. And finally, management change, changed. And, and how long a, a period of time did it take you guys to come to that conclusion once they sold the uh, ticketing? The, it played out. An, our normal holding period is statistically two and a half years. Okay. So we have about 40% turnover ratio in the portfolio. <laughs> Our good ideas will hold three to four years. Uh, and um, uh, this one took about 18 months to play out before we realized that our thesis was broken. And when our thesis is broken, we sell. It's, you know, sometimes we may time it a little bit. Yeah. But generally speaking, that's the point of having it in writing. Okay. Cool. Um, and I know you're uh, bottom-up and you guys focus um, primarily on that, uh, but do any macro factors ever uh, play into your thinking? Low interest rates, uh, monetary policy in different countries, things like that. I'll give you an overall view of where I think we are globally on the macro issues. And I would say the macro issues are always embedded in the micro-analysis yeah. of the company. So, you know, if one looks at, for example, a real estate investment 
in we've been short some real estate stocks in the UK, mm-hmm. and they've all gotten crushed with a recent referendum. Uh, we were short those stocks. In, they happen to be two um, retail REITs uh, because we thought UK real estate was priced to perfection, and we thought the real uh, vulnerable point was in retail, where online was eating away at the margins of of retailers. That notwithstanding, in looking at retail today in the UK, you might flip it around and say how much of that has been discounted. But in in a broader sense, um, my view of the world is that um, the financial crisis 2008-2009 was a huge watershed that we're going to be playing out the consequences for the next cycle, which I'm, and I'm talking about a long-term cycle, not a short-term cycle. I think the populist politics that you see around the world and that were reflected in the Brexit vote uh, represent the electorate being fed up with austerity and yeah. fed up with the monetary authorities carrying the, 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 all of the weight. And my expectations going forward is that you will see um, um, fiscal stimulus uh, across the board, the, U- the the UK Chancellor has just announced he's dropping austerity, and uh, you're going to see a reflation trade. It may actually end up being good for equities, even though everybody expects equities to be uh, vulnerable. And the final thing I would say is that the equities outside the United States have massively outperformed, underperformed U.S. equities, and where equities are priced to perfection is here. Right. Um, so as a small cap manager, um, I imagine you see a lot of uh, innovation, you know, new companies that are creating new and interesting products, whatnot. Could you, could you highlight some of the trends that you're observing, whether it's technology, whether it's just innovation in uh, corporate structure, whatever you're seeing out there, uh, could you highlight some of those things? Uh, the, as, a, as, a, as a small cap value manager, mm-hmm. uh, buying the leading technology companies is usually challenging because one of the rules we have is we do not buy companies that don't have cash flow or that are running negative cash flow. On the other hand, uh, a theme that has been part of my investing life forever has been what we used to call downstream from technology. Uh, I think that every company that wishes to create a competitive advantage in today's world has to be has to use technology and so um, we find that the companies that are smartest at incorporating technology into their operations in businesses that you don't think are technological are the ones who win great well uh, Leah thank you so much for your time uh, talking with us today and thank you for joining us and be sure to follow all of our content at CFA Institute cfainstitute.org, as well as enterprisinginvestor.com. Copyright 2016 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.